Welcome to episode 103 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the smartest minds ever to discuss their passion for Linux. My name is Noah, and joining with me today are a couple of my buddies. Zeb, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. And Ryan? I'm doing awesome, man. Happy to hear that. And Michael, how are things? Stupendous. Wow. Right, well, let's start with Michael. Michael, I know you're always up to some crazy stuff. Tell us what you got going on this week. So uh, I've been actually working on a lot of stuff for Tux Digital. And one of the things, uh, you know, Zeb has been known to previously to do some extreme distro hopping. I decided this week to do some extreme podcast production. So I finished ed- editing and rendering the episode for this week in Linux about 20 minutes before we started doing the, 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 the Zoom this, this week. So um, five minutes? Okay, maybe. <laughs> So uh, it was pretty. It was pretty close, and uh, I've also been doing some other things that I'm going to be releasing. And there's a yet a new how to pronounce episode coming. So it's only been a couple weeks, but it's, it's, I'm I'm, I'm going to make it. Oh, good, because I got a complaint in my latest video about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that I used the word irregular. Uh, could you do a video on? on okay, that? it's how to pronounce Linux related things, not necessarily <laughs> just every word. <laughs> What's wrong with irregular? And there's, it's, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. They said it made their ears bleed because people say it's not a real word. It's just a non-standard word. Because, right? Yeah. I mean, you can, if if muggle can be a word, anything can be a word at this point. So, what do they expect you to say? Non-regular? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? The, the, if they want to get picky, the troll trial. them with, troll them with, ask, ask them to spell prerogative. Prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody spells it right. Oh, it was irregardless that they didn't oh, like that, it. Oh, irregardless. Oh, Paul, that Paul makes something. my ears bleed. <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, it's, technically, it's it is a word, word now, though. It is okay, a word now. No, no. There's regardless, which means to not have regard for. There, You, you, you can't have irregardless. No, irregardless of what you're saying. <laughs> oh, oh, we're done with you, Zeb. But Tell if you go to one. Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it's there. It's, it's technically just, there. But yeah, please let's. I don't. <laughs> now you broke me. I'm taking off That's this Noah shirt. Oh, please. <laughs> so, so Zeb, have you been distro hopping this week? Um, I haven't actually, and and it's a little bit long winded, but bear with me because it's worth it for for the end comment. Um, on the Biddle challenge this week, I was really pleased that we had Peppermint Nine. Um, that was until Dolphin over at the MX team found a really nice bug with the UEFI um, installer on the 64-bit. If you install it with no internet connection, it breaks and doesn't work. Um, so he reached out to us in the um, Telegram group and told Mark Greaves, the um, developer, about it. They had a little chat and we got it fixed. So we've had a bit of an install fest. And one of the things that we are now going to include on all new ISOs that come out is unplug the internet cable to see if it still works but for me this just goes to show how great the linux community is when one dev from another distro reaches out lets us know we've got an error in our iso so that we can fix it so it's a massive shout out to dolphin oracle of mx yeah that's awesome and and of course to pc netspec for for fixing it so quickly for me that's just the beauty of the linux community at the moment so that was really cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, that's great. Ryan, how about you? I've been getting into so much trouble, man. I got all these projects going on. I don't know which direction to go. But essentially, I'm working on my Linux Essential certification because I just want to start getting certifications that I can hang in the background and say, see, I know more than you. 
Um, so I'm working on some of those just for fun. And that's been really interesting and a great learning experience because it's kind of taking a lot of things I've learned, you know, just by doing stuff over the years, the last couple of years and adding in all the missing details that I didn't, you know, research at the time. So that's been a lot of fun. And I've, I've been using Linux Academy for that. And I also started really uh, reading a new book called The Cathedral in the Bazaar, which I found very interesting if you haven't read it. It's the Musings on Linux uh, and Open Source by Eric S. Raymond. Mm -hmm. And it's basically software observations of the Linux kernel development process and then his own experience in managing open source software. And I just found that whole thing extraordinarily insightful to reasonings on why the Linux kernel and the open source model is successful and why it works. Yeah. So that's something I definitely check out. It's kind of one of the must reads from like the, the, the era of like the nineties. I think he wrote it in the nineties. Mm -hmm. It keeps getting updated. It seems like that based on how they're writing it, that they keep updating it or at least different points. They keep updating this journal oh, nice. that was originally written, but it's very, very cool. Very good read. If you're looking for something Linux related out there uh, and not a boring read at all. Um, and then other than that, I've been getting into cryptocurrencies a lot, just kind of learning about them, mining them, and also kind of day trading some of the cryptocurrencies and kind of figuring out how that whole market works. So a lot of different things that I've got my hands in trying to learn some new stuff, filling my played, brains. You played, uh, you played with uh, Lineage OS, I heard too. Yes, I have Lineage OS now on my Nexus 5, and I'm fascinated to learn more about this project. In fact, I was telling Michael, asking Michael some questions about what exactly makes it more secure because on the offset, when you install it, it works and functions exactly like an Android device that you got out of the box, except there's no bloatware on it. You don't have the, you know, Facebook forced icons and all of that stuff. Um, so, I, but the permission system was one of the things that Michael mentioned that I did recognize, which is very similar to how the iOS permission system works in that it asks for every little specific thing, permissions to basically accept or deny versus kind of an all-inclusive, hey, do you want to accept this app getting access to all this? Uh, it goes through each individual one that you have to select. Yes, I want it. So there's a lot more security and privacy. It looks like built in and I'm Excited to learn more about that. There's also there's you, a lot uh, more creative you, stuff too. Did you, did you install Google Play services? I did. Yes, I installed the Google Play Store in there specifically because I've turned some of my Android devices into miners for fun. You're not going to make money this way, people. Uh, for fun, into Bitcoin miners. Um, but uh, so that required one of the apps that was out on the Play Store. So I did install that uh, on there as well. You Here's do have the, to sideload it. The reason the reason I ask about that is when I when I played with Linux OS, what I learned very early on was before you install the Play Store, if you just run Lineage, your battery life goes from like a day to like a week. Wow, like it's insane! Wow. And I just I wanted to pick your brain for just a second. If you had a uh, if you had when you're going through these certifications, they're not for any work-related purpose. No, for, for professional purposes, it's literally just for, as you say, filling your brain. Yes. I, I, there's no reason for me, obviously, to go out there other than I just want to. I, I want to know more about all of this and how it works. And like I said, most of my knowledge was just distro hopping, getting in there and running these distros and figuring stuff out. But I want to fill in the gaps that I'm missing. I know there's a lot of gaps, and there always will be. But this is a good way for me to kind of fill those in and start putting that picture together of all these various pieces of Linux that I've learned in the last two years. Yeah. And cryptocurrency is very interesting, especially when you go into the different levels of how, how they all work differently. And like the, the fact that the Ethereum has a, like a smart contract system, even though it's not really a contract, 
Uh, they just do the transactions in a different way. And you have Monero, which has the uh, they anonymize like people look at like Bitcoin and stuff like that, and just cryptocurrencies in general as mon- uh, anonymized transactions. But they're not really. You can actually true. you can technically figure out people if depending on what information they provide. But there's like Monero. It's very difficult to find out any kind of uh, any uh, any, act, uh, any identification for any of the things because not only they they hash the individual wallets, they hash the transactions and the the keys between the transactions. So like even if you hack into or figure out what the the value is of the or the transaction itself, you still have to figure out which one break of the people are involved in it. So it's like four different layers of anonymization for hashing of the Monero thing. So it's really interesting. Yep. Nice. No. So before we move on, can we go just go back to your certification, um, Ryan? Can we do mm-hmm. a little unveiling when you've when you've got your Linux essential certification? You know, pull the curtain back and it goes, and then there's this little certificate on the wall. Like yeah, it. maybe I'll hook it up to my, my Mozilla home automation system, and then viewers can actually unveil it at certain times. Like Sounds he knows good. what he's so, talking about. He's uh, certified. Yeah. yeah, it'd be like one of those. Uh, might you note that Destination Linux episode 300, Ryan unveils his certificate. <laughs> Got him. You jerk. <laughs> Probably true, though. <clears throat> Over the years, many people have approached Destination Linux to become a sponsor because they understand the value that, frankly, we bring to you, the listener. But we... Uh, it, it comes down to integrity because we only want to support services. We only want to talk about services or products that we actually use. And so there really is only one at the moment that we would feel comfortable bringing to you, and that is DigitalOcean. Now, DigitalOcean yeah. offers some of the most simple, uh, simple, most developer-friendly cloud p- platforms out there. They have an intuitive ATI. They have a great dashboard that allows you to manage your VMs, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and much more. You're going to get access to all of that, all of the infrastructure, everything you need to spin up your own cloud infrastructure, plus the DigitalOcean community. Now, that's over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials that will help you stay up to date and manage your open source software. You're going to learn all of the frameworks, all of the languages, everything you need. I run all of my business on DigitalOcean. When I can go out to a client and tell them that they can replace one of their servers uh, for just five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, they're absolutely blown out of the water. And now this is where it gets really good. They're going to give you a $100 credit that's right, a hundred bucks. So you can try out any of their uh, any of their droplets. You can spend everything from the five dollar droplet up to the fifty dollar droplet, and you can use that for three months. Just use the code. Just go to do.co/dl, and it will automatically apply that one hundred dollar credit towards your account, and then you can build up your own Linux infrastructure on DigitalOcean. Do.co/dl. Nice. That's awesome. And I use DigitalOcean. There, there, you talked about their um, the training and the documents that they have out there in the community. Oh, yeah. I'll use the it tutorials. even at the times I'm not spinning up mm-hmm. uh, a server for things that I'm doing offline because the tutorials are written so well, they're so easy to follow that I'll use them even if it's not an occasion that I happen to be spinning up a DigitalOcean tutorial because there's information in there you could use irregardless. Yeah, sometimes I'll actually accidentally... Uh... Got gotcha. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Sometimes I'll accidentally uh, find something that's in a DigitalOcean thing, and I'm, and it's not even the, the one I'm looking for. Like I, I found, I find the answer because they're in depth. Like the tutorials are so in depth that I'll find the answer and I go, oh, where? Oh, I'm on DigitalOcean right now. Okay, that's awesome. 
Yep. And you can use DigitalOcean almost as a testing ground when we were, so we're remodeling our website for 2019. And one of the things that we have learned is that we can spin something up on DigitalOcean. We can try a platform. We can try a given idea. It doesn't work. We blow it away. It takes 30 seconds. You spin up a new one. You try it again. And the, the one of the nice things is DigitalOcean has started to do essentially their kind of version of containers where they have one-click apps. So you want a LAMP stack? Instead of having to set up Ubuntu and then install all of those things you know, one after the other, you know you need a LAMP stack. So just click on the LAMP stack and Bob's your uncle. There it is. Nice. So let's go to uh, email. I guess that would be with Zeb. Yep, it certainly is. So um, this week we've had a an email from, I think I'm getting his name right, Space Martian. So that's quite unusual. Um, and he says, <laughs> hi, fellas. Show a little love to the guys over at Antigos. Uh, it's a long tenured small product or project with an active and most user friendly community. Um, having heard about previous install troubles in the podcast, I'm very surprised um, because I have installed Antigos on a handful of boxes without issues. In my humble opinion, it is the very purest, closest to Arch in terms of speed, responsiveness, and low bloat. Uh, Michael, I like this one, especially their KDE Plasma Spin. It's the best experience that I've encountered in over a decade in Linux use. Um, the lead developer is a gentleman called, or might be a lady, uh, Karasu. Karasu, uh, it's, it's a guy. That's his, that's his right, screen okay. name. Cool. So he's a Campbell kind and enthusiastic member of the Linux development community. He's always there to answer a question and will always immediately help anyone in the community with any, any installation issues. Uh, great attitude, positive team chemistry, which he says is unique in the world of Arch. Um, so an underappreciated team with a long, stable project tenure. Can we get these guys some exposure in a Destination Linux podcast? Well, thank you, Space Martin. We've done that now. And for a long time, um, Antigos was one of my go-to distributions. But just recently, I've been having a few problems with the cinnamon. And I think it's more down to cinnamon than it is Antigos. Because, um, yeah, it's always been, for me, a very good distro and a very easy distro to, to set up and use. So as an Arch user, Ryan, who's done it the Arch way, <laughs> can you appreciate something like Antigos? Or? Yeah, I mean, these are the distributions that I feel kind of lead people to Arch and understanding Arch. And eventually, if you go and install Arch after using them, it'll be a lot more familiar to you than if you just try to go to, say, from an Ubuntu to an Arch and tried to make that jump. So uh, they, they basically take out, or they're for individuals who are extremely experienced. Maybe they've done Arch and they just don't want to do the setup process anymore. They just want to go through. Oh, that's What's me. up, Mike? That's me. Oh, that's you. Okay, you're yeah. raising your hand. So, I mean, it's for those individuals that just don't want to go through that Arch setup process. Um, so, you know, the thing is, I recommended Antergos a while back and on Big Daddy Live uh, show, uh, everybody was switching because I recommended it. And a lot of people's computers got broken during that time. So I do think it's something that you have to have, even though it's a simpler version of Arch, you still need to have experience in understanding how these distributions work, yeah. how the installers work before going in and tackling it. Uh, what I, what I, I love it. I think it's a fantastic distribution, but I don't think people should go out there and necessarily recommend it to complete beginners because I, I think you Absolutely. need some experience there before using it. I agree. I think that Intergos is a great uh, distribution, and I think that it has a lot of potential for a lot of people. 
and the, 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 but it's definitely not for beginners. Even people who are interested in arts or, or they've heard of arts and stuff like that, they should never be, nothing based on art should ever be given to a beginner. Like it doesn't matter in any I, situation. I would only disagree in the case of where you have somebody that's maybe new to Linux and simply wants to learn about Linux. If that's the goal, if you're not trying to replace your daily driver, if you're just trying to learn about the Linux system and the Linux ecosystem, Entargos can be a great way to get started. Uh, mm -hmm. If you if you install that and just kind of if you want if you want to dive in head first and just kind of explore, I don't think there's anything wrong in that way. But I would agree with you that replacing a daily driver, anything that you depend on, is probably a poor idea. I think that yeah, I, I think it's more of a recommendation thing because people like like to recommend uh, Manjaro and Artergos and other things that that's like just not r really for beginners and. If it's someone who's like giving you a specific of like they, they want to learn the like how it all works and stuff like that, uh, Integros is a good stepping stone. But I think that even then, it's not really the most like it doesn't really teach you a lot until you start using it a lot. So because if you wanted to actually like get deep involved in actually learning the system and how it's infrastructure, like doing a regular Arch install would give you way more, really much more quickly than the Integros way because the Integros way is kind of like get it set up for you and then use it, and you're going to learn. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about how how Pac-Man works and things like that, but you're not going to learn how like Linux itself works through using Ontergos because it's not trying to give you like the inst the arch way of installing stuff. Uh, but I would also mm -hmm. say the thing we had the issue with like the installs people have, Ontergos has a really interesting installer that looks great and it works great most of the time. Uh, it's called Cinchi, and it's mm -hmm. a um, it it sometimes can be uh, fickle. Because what happens is that the the Cinchi installer is updated all the time, so sometimes you can get an update on a day and it'll work flawlessly, and then on the exact same hardware, it would not work the next day. It depends on like what they've changed, um, because they they constantly uh, fix things and change things. But in some cases, depending on your hardware, it might not work for you. So that then they also have like uh, like that's kind of the problem that people get up they get like experience it because also when you ins when you first boot the live distribution of Intergos it will automatically update the newest version of Sinji. Mm -hmm. I've always found the way to get around that is when you if you plug into the internet connection and it, it, when you first boot it up just don't touch anything just wait and it will download the latest version of Sinji and when that mm -hmm. happens. Whatever the problem is that may have been burned into the ISO that you downloaded, whatever the it gets fixed so fast, like we're talking in a matter of hours, mm -hmm. that yep. as long as it's connected to the internet connection, it will update and that will fix that any problems. I've never had an issue with Cinchi after that. Yeah, I would say mm -hmm. that if you if you do have an experience, make sure that you wait for the latest version to be updated before launching the installer because they, once the latest version is installed, it will automatically launch itself. So if you just load mm -hmm. up the system, wait about thirty-five seconds or so. Once it like fixes everything, then it it'll, then it'll do it. But if you if you try I to do it offline, you see you. So for anybody that's confused by this, you plug an internet cable in, plug the, the your flash drive in, you let it boot up, and it it starts to the install screen. Just says you want to install, just wait, and you'll see a little message that'll pop up, and it'll say the newest version of Cinchi has been installed and and is ready to go. Yeah. Now you can mm -hmm. click install, and right. it just I've always had it work after yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, sometimes like because the the update that they update the ISO every once a month, but they update Cinchi every day, and actually sometimes right. even more than that. Yeah, and you're right about the the speed of the community feedback because I remember a particular. Uh, time when I think it was part of the install process says, do you want me to mess around with the repos? And there was something that went wrong if you did that, if you told it to let it do its own thing. So within literally an hour 
of that ISO hitting hitting the, the um, website and people were having problems. If you went to their forums, there was a, okay, for this one time only, when you're installing the distribution, don't let Cinchy do its own thing. Tell it to just use the normal repos. Then it'll install and it will fix itself after it's installed. So they are really, really quick at answering answering problems mm. that, that was my favorite fun. part about this email is talking about he used a couple words here humble kind and enthusiastic member being the lead developer there and that is exactly what you want when you're getting into a distro even a com a more complex distro than say a standard ubuntu installation or something along those lines uh you want somebody there who's going to bring that into the community as the leader of it people are going to follow the way he communicates or you know interacts with the community and obviously they've created a really good community over there and i think that is worthy of props as well i'd also say they do the same thing on the majaro community as well if you're looking for a, a, another option in the arch-based distros i think that team does a really good job of keeping uh, the community very kind and nice and supportive over yeah. there. So I think both, well, I mean, both the, of them are the good options. The, the community support comes down to Arch in general, right? I mean, it, it's all of the all of the Arch and Arch related distros. All of those communities are what contribute to the fact that you know, like Zeb pointed out, when you have a problem, it's solved almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. I think he's more to referring to like the the support of the individual. When you, when you need help, you can ask and. Uh, they'll they'll give you hands-on support and stuff like that on like the forums and things, um, mm. and, and Manjaro and, and Tergos are pretty quick are pretty good about that. Um, but I think that uh, just I probably should mention that I've contributed to Intergos uh, a lot over the years, and I'm on par I'm part of the team technically. So uh, just to clarify, that's interesting, Michael. But I use Arch. Okay, um, <laughs> sure, buddy. So I I wasn't. I'm not, you know, bragging about. It. I just let you know that uh, I did not bring up the topic of Intergos, and probably one of the reasons why we haven't talked about it much is because I am a part of it, and it kind of seem might seem self-serving or whatever. Uh, but uh, overall, I think Intergos is a great uh, distribution. And if if you're curious about the difference between Manjaro and, and Intergos, uh, Manjaro is more of a fork in the sense that they fork the entire Arch repos, and they want to add like extra security in the sense not security but stable uh, stuff that so that they hold the packages back to see if anything happens in the art side and then if there's nothing wrong then they will uh, you know push out the their on their side whereas intergos is kind of like directly connected to arch so as soon as something happens in arch it also happens in intergos so uh, that's there's they're, they're very similar in the sense that they're they're trying to be a stopgap between you know getting used to linux and then going straight to arch uh, but they are also different in that sense. Mm -hmm. But don't ever let it stop you talking about Antigos, Michael. It doesn't stop me and Peppermint. There you go. <laughs> That's true. And by the way, we got an email from a Space Martian. How cool is that? That <laughs> Deb renamed Space Martin in the middle of talking about it, which I thought was hilarious. So you are it's officially dubbed Space Martin. And if you send us any emails, please sign them Space Martin and we will get to them <laughs> it, immediately. It has been typed in the document as Space Martian. There's an I A N. That's not Martin. That's Martian. No, you said Martin, I think, uh, when you were talking about it. At no, one Space point. Martian. Okay. Oh, oh, maybe you did. Okay. Well, either way, doesn't You're Space Martin. Your yeah, either way, you're now Space, <laughs> space Martin. Martin. <laughs> if your name is Martin, you should never put space in front of it, lest to be confused as Martian. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's your free advice for the week there you go so before moving on we do want to hear um from our listeners so send us an email asking that burning question or simply giving us some feedback um so please send your emails to comments 
at destinationlinux.org. Do we want to hear their comments, though, after they completely let us down on the whole Michael being a filthy dual booter thing? Well, you mean that they were completely accurate about I wasn't a dual booter? Yeah, I think I think that's. <laughs> Yeah, Whatever. I mean they do need to they do need to jump on the little jokey bandwagons that we're trying to have rather than going. No. Not a filthy jewel booter. We think blah, blah, blah. they could just be honest and nice, polite people, and they wanted to talk about the actual question at hand: Is it dual booting? And no, it's not. So therefore, they must all be a part of the Antergos community. All <laughs> nice, and humble, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, before we get started with the news, we wanted to have a quick conversation about the uh, Patreon that we have and the patron Patreon in general. Uh, we first want to say, you know, thank you to everyone who's a patron. You know, it's, it's yeah. amazing and it's it was you know it blows us away every time we think about it. Really, uh, but we also wanted to point out something that there's a a weird situation going on with Patreon, and that is um, they're doing some weird. Uh, the situations about like uh, deplatforming people and things like that. So we want to let our listeners know that we are like looking into these types of issues that they're that have been reported to us about Patreon, as well as uh, considering some alternatives to uh, maybe not necessarily replace at the moment replace Patreon because there are people who are currently using it, and uh, we don't want to just completely like you know uh, pull, pull the rug, the rug out. out. Yeah, from under them. exactly. Yeah. So uh, we are more of a gradually and uh, looking to gradually transition away. And uh, so we wanted to see, uh, you know, if, if you have any suggestions for what possible things that you've seen before, maybe we haven't, you know, seen everything. Um, but we would, we would just want to say that we appreciate your continued support of the show, and we are actively seeking to find an alternative platform for it. Mm -hmm. And although some people might not be aware of it, I know that Ryan has got a big passion for this. So can you just tell him very briefly why we're looking at something else, maybe? Well, I think there's a, there's a lot of, you're going to see your YouTube, if you go on YouTube, uh, videos completely filled with information regarding this. And essentially, it's just, you know, a terms of service that's uh, out there that may be not utilized against all groups the same way. And that has created a impact on what, you know, we would, we talk about here very often about freedom of internet, freedom of speech. And, you know, regardless, there you go, Noah, of whether we agree with certain points or not of the content that's taken down, uh, we still believe people have the right to say those things. And if you're going to take down one group for it, you should also take down another group that does the same thing. Um, so that's kind of the basis of it. But there are plenty of videos you'll see endless amounts of them out there because there are major people, uh, platforms, Patreon users that have some of the top two and three and four number of Patreons leaving the platform because of this issue or looking for alternative platforms. We're investigating it. We're going to look for some other options out there and see if we can give people some more choice because we want to definitely support, uh, have a community be able to support us without obviously hurting their own uh, personal ideals and thoughts on that. It's, I mean, cool. it's, and, and also we want to support other independent content creators, right? So we don't want to, we don't want to monetize in a way that gives monetary support to a, a place that's going to hurt other independent content creators, because that would be very unopen source uh, of us. So um, the situation's being worked on and, and updates to follow in, in future episodes. But if you are currently subscribed as a patron, your, 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 uh, your contribution will continue to be processed and we will continue to be grateful for it. Exactly. Yep. A new distro is out, Scepter, uh, a, a new distro release. Now, this is a distro that hit our radar early, uh, uh, recently, and Scepter is a privacy-based distro based on Debian. So the idea is that it combines uh, a proxy with 
the Tor web browser. And uh, if you're not familiar with Tor, check out, I think it was, was it last week that we talked about? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Tor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and and essentially the, the, the Onion router is what Tor stands for. Uh, now, this distro features kernel 4.19, Plasma 5.14, and... Uh, is that my phone? No, it's mine. And, uh, <laughs> and contains the Tor, the Tor browser, Thunderbird. It contains HexChat and uh, a bunch of uh, a whole suite of utilities and stuff like that. And so essentially what this is for is for the privacy conscious among us, people who want a, a distro that is specifically for uh, that enhances the security of, of browsing and stuff like that. And, uh, and so, so definitely something you'd want to check out if you've not seen it in the past. And um, I'm, I guess I'm not sure, is this specifically designed to be installed or to be run live, kind of like uh, like a Tails? I think it's kind of both. Uh, both. I, I haven't yep. seen okay. this. Uh, like, the Tails is, like, specifically described as don't, you know, don't use it otherwise. But I think this doesn't, I don't think, because like, Tails is amnesic, I don't think that this is that. I think it's more of, like, mm-hmm. a, a... So this ha- is the daily driver kind of a right. thing. A daily driver Absolutely. that's, like, a hardened structure. And if you look at the software packages that come included with it, I think that kind of it, it kind of shows that this would be something you would use as a daily driver. I mean, obviously you could you could do it like a Tails, but um, this has the ability to take over your desktop here. I'm really happy to see more of these distros kind of focusing on adding in a lot of these privacy tools or being more privacy privacy focused, but mm-hmm. also creating a very um, accessible means of having a standard desktop, a standard GUI. You've got that nice Mm -hmm. KDE, beautiful, uh, but then you've got these tools in the background that as you want to learn more about this and start understanding this, you can click on them, start using them and understanding what's happening behind the scenes because I think it teaches, it helps to teach more people about the importance of this. Uh, It teaches more people about the tools that are available to help you stay private and secure out there on the internet uh, but also functions as a normal desktop that you can do all the other things that you would normally do out there. So I think it's pretty cool. This one's brand new. It's fresh. It, it, it literally got released on 1-1-2019. So we'll follow its progress and see how well it works. But if you're interested in trying out a brand new distro, I think Scepter's a pretty cool one to check out. So you guys know one of my favorite things on the planet has always been XFCE from the beginning. And XFCE has had some an incredible year when you look back, especially Sean Davis released a year in review. And I was even surprised at how much uh, how much has gone into this project since the beginning of the year, because we kind of think a lot of times people will give the critique that XFCE is very slow to update, doesn't have releases coming out very often. But if you look at all of the enhancements and tweaks that happened over the year, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes, you'll be amazed at how much work still goes into this project. And also, that's one of the reasons why it's so stable uh, to utilize. But the development team over XFCE kicked off the new year in a very eventful way because they released the brand new XFCE 4 panel. Well, not the brand new, but a new release of the XFCE 4 panel 4.13.4. And it has some nice enhancements in there that are all leading towards the much-awaited 4.14 4.14 release that is supposed to happen this year. Right, Michael? I see you smiling. Uh, it's supposed <laughs> to happen this year. They said that that's their plan, but um, I think it's possible. I think they, they actually have a chance yeah. this year. And that's all the move to the GTK platform plus platform, right? No, 3.0? It's, it's a GT, yeah, the GTK 3 version. GTK yeah. 3. Because they're currently yeah. on GTK 2. 
So the, the new one actually fixes an issue I've had with the XFC four panel for a long time. And that is inconsistent icon sizing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not like Rocco and that I care that pixels are off or, you know, <laughs> different colors. Right. In fact, I pretty much ignore that stuff, but nothing annoys me more than you install an application and it's got a gigantic icon and all of your other icons are small. Uh, so they fix that by creating a more standardized automatic you know, system that goes in mm. and makes sure that the icons all stay around the same size. They also did some work on the menu positioning on the panels, creating a more consistent positioning of the plug-in menus uh, in general. And they also started added, which I think this work is going towards the new 4.4 release, which is introduction of the new CSS style classes that can be used in themes and themes alike. Because as I understand it, Michael, correct me, the 3.0 has a lot more CSS style work. Yeah, built into, I mean, there's, right? it's yeah. it's basically like it's, they, they changed the styling completely to CSS, but they created their own custom CSS. So it's like GCSS or something like that. Um, but it's most, it's they, they still had, um, like they had more of a value, uh, parameter value structure on the GTK2 version. So it's still kind of CSS, but not really. Whereas the GTK3 is like almost exclusively. Very cool. So you can check this out now. As you guys know, I use the XFCE4 panel in my i3. So you can you don't have to install the full XFCE desktop environment. You can use little bits and pieces of it because it's modular like that. And I utilize the panel in i3 for when I'm feeling lazy and want a full menu. So if you're doing that too, you can just download the latest XFCE4 panel and utilize it. Yeah, I like how they're oh, doing yeah. this now with the developer modes where they're actually releasing the developer versions as you know usable things because, you know, they used to be, you know, there's years apart between the releases, so people would make a joke about it. But now they're like, well, here's things you can, like, cause, because it's modular, why don't we just release some things that are ready to go versus, you know, waiting for everything to be ready. I like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you the, the collective brain trust this question. If you are looking for a distro that you're going to put into production and it has to work 100% of the time and you're not going to be there to update it a lot, um, Essentially, I was working with the company, and the, they had they were shipping their boxes with CentOS with XFCE because they said GNOME wasn't stable enough for them. They had some problems with it, and anybody that's used GNOME has had some issues with it. Um, but they wanted the stability of CentOS, and so they paired that CentOS with XFCE. Now that box has been pretty decent. I've I, I haven't seen a whole lot of issues with it, but I'm curious: is XFCE becoming like? the lowest common denominator desktop, the desktop you go to when you just need something to work and you can't afford to, to take chances because KDE maybe isn't there and GNOME isn't there? Or is that just a, is that, is that a misunderstanding on my part? I mean, in my opinion, XFCE is a great choice in this arena because of its slow update process, because it's not updated constantly. So KDE is yeah, exactly. very stable and fantastic, but you can run into issues because it, it is also kind of cutting edge, right? They put a lot of cutting edge stuff in there. XFCE has that little bit of um, that aged look to it sometimes, and that can turn people off. Obviously, you can make it look better uh, than its standard, but because you don't have a ton of releases going into it, and it's not trying to do everything in the world, it's not trying to be a Swiss army knife of desktop environments, uh, I think it and it ends up, in my opinion, being one of the most stable desktop environments that if I'm just having a bad time in Linux and I'm frustrated with every mm-hmm. distro, I'm going to go back to an XFCE-based distro uh, because that's just my that's my personal go-to. That's where I, I'm like, okay, I'm safe. I know how to do everything in here, and stuff's not going to break. Yeah, I think if, if mm-hmm. someone's focus is exclusively on stability, the fact that they yes. don't update that much is, uh, is, a, is a bonus for that. 
uh, as far well, as like the main the main core release, so they, they still update a lot. But I'm not I'm saying like they don't uh, do like a ton of changes. They just do like the iterative changes. So like once you make right. a new release, it's it's not they're almost always compatible with the previous version. Yep. So would you mm-hmm. say something like Xubuntu? I mean, this machine is yes. probably going to get administrated or touched, maybe if we're lucky, once every two years. Yeah, I think Ubuntu is a good option. It has, uh, you know, with the, with the LTS, of course, um, and have like the eighteen oh four version, which does have uh, some four four dot thirteen stuff in it, because the people who work on Ubuntu also work on XFC itself, so it has a lot more, uh, you know, there's a lot more polish to it. And I think the way that Ubuntu has is actually themed it makes it makes XFCE look very nice because you know, in comparison to the default XFCE, which is uh, hideous. Um, the the shut up, Michael. <laughs> I hate when you're Get right. Rat. The 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 Zubuntu version is very nice, and like they yeah. have the whisker menu built set up by default, and things like that. Like they they did it. It's a great option for both um, stability and also a great out of the box XFCE option. Mm. And, and even when they do go up to the uh, 4.14 release, um, I think because of the way Sean Davis was telling us how they develop um, and that they're only a small team, even if it does come out this year, you on that server that you're going to install or that app PC that you're going to install isn't going to have massive problems because they won't just throw out 4.14 and expect the community to fix it. Mm-hmm. It will be it will be ninety five percent of the way there, if not higher, before before they let it out. And I think that's just a testament to the way they've been developing it in the past. Mm. It's kind of interesting too because I moved my son recently from Raspbian because he's kind of mastered that over to Zubuntu. Uh, Did you really? And, but I have the same feeling with it that I don't. You know, he goes and he clicks around and he plays with stuff. In KDE, that can be a little bit dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. You're going to move right. stuff around. In, in XFCE, the, the way of customizing and doing things is so simple and so basic, and you're not going to mess anything up, and I'm kind of trying to get them more further into the Linux stuff. So, uh, yeah, I love it, man. You should definitely see how, if that's how something old you're is your, How old is your son? Five, yeah. Okay. So my son, is, my son is eight, and he's on KDE right now. Nice. Yeah, nice. I, it, so that's it, the next it, step, right? Well, it's I, I. Here's the thing. I didn't. Re- you're right. It can be dangerous if you're clicking around. I didn't really think about that. Uh, but what he has screwed it up a couple of times. I'm like, I don't know, man. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, but what, what was before? Right, just go nice. back before that. Uh, you know, the the, the the another alternative to that would be uh, MX Linux. You choose as XFCE, and they're based on oh, Debian. Yeah. So if you if you're yeah. if you're focused exclusively on the stable but you also mm-hmm. want to have like uh they do a lot of updates they do like once a year or so they have like a big update and uh but they but it's still based on the same core debian so it's still a debian stable with some changes and things so you can have it'll you'll still get updates but at the same time more than likely won't have any issues of stability or anything but if you just want mm-hmm. to you know get it like exactly how it's going to be and not worry about changes at all uh zubuntu lts would be a good option too I like that. I like that a lot. Well, thanks for the thanks for the brain trust. You're more than welcome. Okay, so on to now a some software news and something that should really interest Michael, because we might actually be able to stop him from filthy dual booting. Um, 
but we're not going to ask you to keep those emails coming because that one completely backfired. So <laughs> stop sending us all this nonsense about you agree with it and it's fine and why not use what you want. Um, you completely missed the whole point. They're anyway, guilty by association. That's the point. <laughs> they Sounds might good to me. Builders. Maybe that's why they're agreeing with him. I <laughs> just think that they're. Uh, I think nice. that they're that's all correct. They're just all correct yeah. that it's not dual booting. So. Anyway, so back on track, we're, <laughs> we're talking about we've got, we've had a sneak preview of GIMP 3. Um, and so the jury, uh, well, no, I've read that bit. So in GIMP 3, one of the biggest changes will be going from GTK 2 to GTK 3. So one could ask, is the GIMP the XFCE of the photographic world? <laughs> Sounds like they're on the same path to get there. Certainly no, because I would, yeah. use, I would um, use XFCE. So, in addition to this, they can you can look forward to continued GIMP 2.10 point releases with some updates and improvements as an appetizer while we wait for version three. Um, space invasion work. Um, I'm sorry, Mike. What, you left you left to take over, Michael. Because what space invasion? I'm thinking. <laughs> And they're playing games and trying to shoot aliens out of it's, the sky. It's funny you say that because when I was looking at it, I was like, is that really what it's called, space invasion work? But it's which basically they are looking at, rather than using sRGB color space hard-coded for all the processing, the original color space can be reserved from start to finish in the output, which made me wonder, does this fix any of the destroying issue that you talked about, Michael, no. with... No. <laughs> that's why i was so excited to put that in there because i'm like oh they're not they're, they're they're keeping the original color space it's being preserved from the beginning to the end it's good that's that they're doing help. that because the color space is very important because as soon as you set up any kind of work and then you uh if you if you go from one compete one program to another and the color space is messed up it will destroy every all the work you've done because the color space is very important and there's also like multiple different versions of color spaces it's like uh adobe mm -hmm. has their own specific one uh, and they're now working and like this theoretically could support that particular color space which would be really good uh there's also now, some would, standard ones would too this, would this be an issue for somebody that wasn't going between a proper linux setup and a crappy windows uh vm um <laughs> so it can be uh based okay. on the version of gimp you have so if you have an older version of gimp it'll have a different color space and uh so yes uh but also cmyk is another uh issue of like having rgb versus cmyk uh, for doing print work versus doing digital work, uh, and yes, I did completely ignore your your, your jab at me. Anyway, uh, so the 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 really cool thing about it is that the the Gaggle library is one of the things that's uh, I'm interested in. GIMP is the Gaggle library does so much, and it's actually only comp uh, uh, developed by one person, I think. Uh, and it's it's an amazing library because they've it's, they've they're redoing their engine using the Gaggle library, um, and I think that. GIMP has a ton of potential, and I do want GIMP to be the best option. It just currently isn't right now. Right. So, um, no, we've all been there. I, I feel like anybody in their own industry knows of of some tools that exist in in Windows, and you're like, man, I wish that tool existed in Linux. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I, I, we've all been there. You know, as working in network administration, I've been there too. Now, I mean, to a certain degree, I just manned up and said I'm going to live without it because I'm. I can rise above. I'm a professional, and you couldn't, which is fine. Um, <laughs> so uh, next week we're gonna have three hosts on this show, <laughs> and Noah is, is the main because host. He's no longer committed to Linux. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> well, before we move on, Zeb was so excited to call Michael a filthy dual booter that we missed an article in here about the about Linux. About Linux. <laughs> yes, about <laughs> Linux itself. So, Michael, 
What is happening with oh, the Linux kernel? Well, Not bad. The <laughs> the well, this is more of like a, a kind of like a rehash of like the year of the 2018 commit section of the Linux kernel because there's been a ton of work. Like there are every every new release, there's a ton of work. But you know, to to encapsulate it in a year, we're going to talk about like the, the what's going on based on this you know this amazing project that is the Linux kernel. And so this um, as of basically New Year's Eve, there was uh, the Linux kernel saw. 74,974 commits over the year. And this results in the removal of 2,512,040 lines with the addition. That's amazing. Yeah. Additionally, we're adding the uh, resulted in the uh, additional of 3,385,121 lines of code. So the, the, uh, the amount of work is, you know, astounding every single time they make a new release but you you take it into like just one year of work it's uh it's absurdly awesome <laughs> yeah i mean that's the reason we're all here like i wanted to put this in here just to put some respect on the linux kernel i mean it, it's it's what we talk about it's one of the basis for the things that we love and discuss here on a constant basis in the community that goes out there and contributes to this project. Uh, there was also another 4,208 authors out there uh, that are contributing to the code this year. So that is quite amazing. But I also wanted to give a shout out to the main contributors of the code because they're just beautiful, awesome people out there. Zeb, who are they? So we've got Linus Torvalds, himself um and surprisingly he still um commits an awful lot of code um then we've got people um, by the name of david s miller arnd bergman christopher or christoph helwig colin ian king and that's one person not three and chris wilson yeah and of course yep. the uh so, the uh, the lts kernel maintainer uh, greg kh or crow hartman Yep. So very awesome. So massive shout out to all those beautiful people that worked on the Linux kernel this year and made it the best year of Linux ever, for sure. The best 2018 year, uh, 2019 seeks to outdo it. Thunderbird is releasing their plans for 2019, and they've got some really cool things planned. Now, at Destination Linux, we've been accused of being fanboys of Thunderbird. And in this particular case, that would be correct. And I know that here's the thing. I get people all the time. They ask me, they'll say, hey, Noah, what is a good alternative to Outlook or what is the best mail client? And when I recommend Thunderbird or anytime I talk about Thunderbird, every, I get this reaction. I get this head roll of, oh, Thunderbird, <laughs> really? And I'm like, it is. It's legitimately an amazing piece of software. And right. then when you actually dig into it and you start using it, especially when you start getting into some of the add-ons and customizations, it's fantastic. And the good news is that they have high ambitions for 24 uh, for 2019. Now, Ryan Sipes is their community manager, and he's been a friend of the show and uh, formerly of System76 and all of those sorts of things. Now, he said that fans can look forward to a nicer looking app that works even better in 2019. He said that the feedback that they received is leading them to add uh, new developers uh, or new developers that are focusing on improving the experience across the board. And the team is also looking to rewrite parts of Thunderbird uh, to work towards multi processing and faster technology behind it all. And that to me is particularly exciting because I think for a long time there has been this, I don't know, rumor, belief, suspicion that Thunderbird is just going to kind of 
die away a slow death. It's going to have the Google death, right? First, it's just abandoned. Then nobody really talks about it. And then all of a sudden, they just don't release any updates. And someday they just say, yeah, by the way, that's dead. Um, but they're no, they're going the other direction. They're going mm-hmm. to integrate Thunderbird notifications with the desktop. And so it goes through the native notifier. They want to do a complete overhaul uh, to the encryption. And so you won't have to, you won't have to, essentially you won't have to use some of those add-ons to, to be able to get that to work. They're going to integrate more tightly with Gmail, which frankly is actually a pretty good integration right now. When you go to, uh, when you go to set up a Gmail account in Thunderbird, as soon as it detects that it's hosted either on G Suite because it's a business account or Gmail because it's a personal account, Thunderbird will automatically access the Google API. It will redirect you to a web browser where you log in with your Google account. So if you're using two-factor authentication, any of that stuff, all of that is supported. And then it essentially talks via that API back to Thunderbird to say, yep, that this account is authorized on Thunderbird. The nice thing about that is, you know, those, those, uh, those irritating security from Google sign a new device or a different IP. If you've gone through that process, you'll be able to approve that device right from Thunderbird. So mm-hmm. uh, I've actually found the integration to be quite tight and I'm, I'm very happy to see that. So a lot of love has gone into this project. We're really happy to renew our 2019 fan cards and, uh, <laughs> and be able to watch, to watch what, this, what, what this does in 2019. And if you'd like to watch with the episode that uh, you guys did with Ryan Sipes and check out episode, is it 77? Yeah, 77. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, and while Ryan is not someone who cares about like pixels or the designs that that much, I kind of am. And I'm really happy to see that Thunderbird has also announced that they're redesigning the interface as well. So, and I, if you check out the previews, uh, they're actually quite nice. Like, uh, they, they could, they, they are trying to kind of do like a combination of the quantum stuff that Firefox did, but at the same time, their own unique approach. So I, re- I really like that, like the fact that they're going to be like revamping the design as well. By the way, we can be and are allowed to be, because this isn't NPR folks, fanboys of projects. I think there was a comment this week, Michael, where someone's like, oh, Michael's a fanboy of KDE. Yes. Really? <laughs> this, we know. He's always going to talk yeah. about it. And Zeb's a fanboy of Peppermint. That's why here, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. We we will have things that we're fans of. We're all fans of Thunderbird because we all use it and we love it. There are other great email clients out there. It's not to say they're not, and we cover them mm-hmm. when there's news. We just happen to all – I'm pretty sure everyone here uses Thunderbird. Yep. So there you go. Uh, we talk about Raspberry Pi a lot, and I guess you could say we're fanboys of that as well recently uh, just because it's so much fun. But recently I worked on a project where I added a touchscreen, a non-official touchscreen, to my Raspberry Pi, it was a little 3.5 inch touchscreen, very easy to add and implement because I'm using this for the Mozilla Home Automation Project and I want to be able to mount it right next to my thermostat so that with the touchscreen on there, you could go in and make certain changes through the automation system right there with something my wife wouldn't scream at me about because it looks ugly and hideous. Uh, so it's just a little 3.5 inch screen. But I want to talk about the fact that they have an official 7 inch display screen out there for around $60 that has native support in the Linux kernel that you can pick up if you're looking for something bigger because that little 3.5 inch screen is very tough to see stuff out there. But the most interesting thing about that is not that it exists, but in the Linux kernel 4.21 now contains the 200 plus lines of code that enable that touchscreen by default. So in my case, I had to go download a driver to to get that touchscreen working and do some configuration settings. In this case now, thanks to all the work in the Linux kernel, 
that is going to be right there in the code with that 10 finger touch capability built in. So if you're doing projects with your Raspberry Pi and want a touch screen, that's pretty cool for 60 bucks, I think. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. good. And the fact that it's going to be in the, in the, uh, the kernel, which I think the 4.21 kernel is going to come out, you know, end of February, early March, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's going to be really quickly. So even if you, uh, you know, you don't have to wait that long to get this, the default support. So even if you, if you want to go ahead and get it now, you could just go ahead and do those, the process of getting the drivers and everything, but it won't be very far from the front for now to get it built in. And uh, also that we, there's an interesting thing that's happening in the realm of free speech that uh, we've, we've talked about privacy and security a lot on destination Linux, because we're all very uh, interested in that topic. So it's a, it's, it's important for, for us to highlight uh, things that will remind us why it's so important. Uh, recently, uh, Vietnam has uh, passed a law that's like a, uh, it threatens basically like you know free speech through cyber uh, requirements of data like localization and stuff. So essentially, what happened is the Vietnamese government has passed new cybersecurity law, which says that they uh, that is essentially forcing companies like Google and big companies that have that store data on citizens to force them to store that data in local servers in that country. Now. The, the there's there's been multiple countries that have done this, but this is more of a um, this this is kind of too much because they're also going to find the companies if they don't do it, essentially creating a decision for the companies to either comply with it or completely re- like remove themselves from the country. Um, so, and not only do they want them to store the data there, they want their authorities to have direct access to the information that they're oh, storing. Yeah. yeah, and it's also not not in the sense they they did say it's not in like a you know, a subpoena sense where you can just like get access to it, like after the, like through the, the mean, legal means, but they're saying that you can just get access in general. Uh, so like that, that itself is a very big issue. Um, like some countries like uh, Russia also uh, passed a law that did the same thing where LinkedIn a couple of years ago completely just com- left Russia entirely because of it. And uh, also countries like uh, Belgium, Brazil, and a few, like Turkey and a few others are, have done the same thing that as most of the time these companies are just leaving uh but not mm-hmm. not always so um this is just another example of uh, governments not really fully understanding the way the internet works and how <laughs> multiple computers connect to each other from different parts of the world to make the internet um but uh, and it's also like in a, in a, in, a, in a, some senses it it kind of ruins the ability for small companies to do services in certain countries because they you know it's very expensive to get servers in every country that requires you to have servers uh, to mm-hmm. just store the data and if you're a big company like Google that's probably like nothing to you but if you're a small company that's trying to do a startup it essentially means you can't do anything in those countries. Well, hopefully Google and the other companies tell them, you know, go fly a kite and don't comply with this. They only have 12 months to comply here in this. And what, you know, was described by the director of global operations saying a country deeply repressive climate online space was a relative refuge where people would go share ideas and opinions. And now this is being censored in a sweeping power to the government um, and taken away from the Vietnamese people there. So, you know, Destination Linux is an international show. We're downloaded in over 101 plus countries. One of those happens to be Vietnam as well. So uh, we want to send our love to our friends there and hope that maybe this law gets overthrown and they don't have to kind of deal with this and they would have a free and open internet out there. 
Uh, but I think certainly we can all put pressure on these companies uh, and social media and other things to say, don't comply uh, with these government statues because it's just way too dangerous out yeah, there. Absolutely. Cool. So Google is in the news again. Um, <laughs> and they're going to be having a new OS that isn't Linux based. Now this is going to, I mean, for me, I was reading through this and thinking, yeah, okay. So it's only Google and they're changing. Well, hang on a minute. Google do everything that is Android. So um, they're, they're working, they've been working on another OS since 2016 and it's called uh, Fuchsia. Um, and it appears that the days of Android and Chrome OS running on a Linux kernel may be over. So before I go into any more of those, of those details, how will that affect people like Samsung and LG and Huawei? Will they just continue to develop on top of the new platform? Will, will that I, no longer now be Android? I mean, what's going I, on? I would, I would argue that Samsung for a long time has been trying to separate themselves from Google and Android. I would argue that if, if, you, if you boot up an S9 or an S8, or even all the way back to the S6 days, they, one by one, they've been replacing one app for a Samsung-specific app. They have Samsung-specific backups. They have Samsung-specific cloud settings and all of that. Sure. So I think that they have been separating themselves for quite some time. I think the reason they did that was they didn't want to be tied at the hip to Google. Mm -hmm. They wanted the freedom to do their own thing and to be able to solve some of those problems. And so it would not surprise me in the least if Google divorces Android as we know it. If some of these manufacturers start to say, okay, well, we're going to keep going this direction, or in the case of Samsung, we go a complete other direction. We take Dex and we sell that as a market differentiator. And now we have our own operating system that runs on the phone and it becomes the business person's, you know, the, the run everywhere kind of thing that we've been hearing about for so long convergence, right? Right. I think you nailed it. That's exactly where my mind went, Noah, when I was thinking about, you know, the fact that we're, we, when we talked about this in a prior episode, but you're paying over a thousand dollars for this little device, they now have the power that a lot of laptops, low-end laptops have. You can run a full desktop experience on it. Samsung running towards the decks and starting to invest in that, I think is a move that very well could be that separation uh, that they're looking for between the Android platform, at least integration uh, across the board and various platforms there. Now there's no mm -hmm. guarantee that Google's going to go forward with this. You know, Google creates stuff and then they, abandon it like crazy that's why you have what 16 messaging apps now on google oh no Whatever. none none hangouts is <laughs> oh, dead too. No, none yeah. oh, okay yeah. um mm -hmm. but so we don't know if they'll continue with it but there has been more work that has been popped up recently on this i guess one of the good things about it is that although it's not on the linux kernel gross by the way um this os is free and open source still kind of under the mixture of bsd3 clause mit and apache 2.0 licenses so i think it's going to be more than likely it's going to be like the way that that chromium and chrome is like there's going to be proprietary mm -hmm. parts of it and i mean android is basically the same way like all the apps that are google apps are, are proprietary apps whereas the android itself is open source and and but so, you, you can't really do a lot of things without having the google apps on the android phone so mm, so so could could you foresee we end up with like four platforms as in google ios android and no i think that this is pure linux I, I mean think about it michael you're gonna say no but google's done this with everything right i They'll think you should 
and then still keep all the other stuff available as well, and it's all in beta forever. They do a long-term thing. Mm. Yeah, they do take forever to replace it, but I think the ultimate end goal for Google is to replace Linux entirely and have their own kernel. And that's what they're trying to do with Fuchsia, is what my is my opinion. I, I think this is kind of like a devil's advocate approach, but I do think that this is uh, more than likely what they're trying to do. Because when they announced Fuchsia, they had specifically announced it was not going to use Linux at all. And and this was like a couple years ago. So like I think that the Fuchsia OS, is their intent is to make it where they can transition to Fuchsia and not have to deal with uh, the licensing structure of Linux or something like that. Because if you notice mm-hmm. the licensing that they have for um, for this new Fuchsia OS is BSD3, MIT, and Apache, all of which don't require uh, source code uh, uh, being released the way that GPL does. The GPL says if you use GPL software, you also have to release the code that you have connected to that software. All three of those don't do that. So... Right. It means that they could uh, have an enterprise, uh, 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 enterprise uh, companies using their so- using this fuchsia and do whatever they want, which could, in in some ways, negatively impact uh, the overall community and, and just open source in general because of the fact that they are basically giving a license to not be open to some of these companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that's interesting is that they have said that they're going to have Android support for Android apps on fuchsia. Um, which would be a more gradual uh, gives an ability for these companies to gradually push to Fuchsia without having to lose all the work they did with the Android apps. So in theory, it could be faster than people expect it to be because of that support for those apps. Um, if mm-hmm. they were, if they didn't have that, I would also agree that it's kind of ridiculous and laughable. But the fact that they have the app support, it's it's I think it's a it's a definitely a negative story. Well, see, I didn't see that they had the app support for the Linux stuff. I saw that they had the app support for the Android app store. No, I'm talking about the Android Android apps, not Linux. Apps. Okay, I'm talking not about the Linux apps. On okay, yeah, Chrome gotcha. OS has the Linux apps. I'm saying that the the Android, if they're trying to uh, get away from Linux and they're trying to transition from Android to uh, Fuchsia, it would be a, a fundamental necessity for them to have absolute uh, Android app support. Because otherwise, they would basically say all companies who's ever done anything, you know, forget you. But the fact that they're doing mm-hmm. it makes it a possibility for a gradual transition, uh, or at least a fairly quickly one in the sense of like just maybe a couple years. So, Noah, we've all mm-hmm. talked about the fact that Android has, you know, we can use it even in taglines as much as I'm not a fan of, hey, you know, you probably use a Linux device today. Do you have an Android? They say, yes, you got, you've got a lot of people who've experienced the Linux kernel and away from Chrome OS. We've got Chrome OS being, you know, pushed in schools and things. In fact, I've mentioned my kids' schools require them to have a Chromebook yeah, mine too. Uh, as part of this. So, uh, is this going to be a big negative for Linux, in your opinion, if they move away from it? Or do you think these other projects spawning off are going to create a boom, a backlash? I think, it, I think it's probably a minor negative. Uh, I think negative to Google and Android. And here's why. Now is not the time to fragment. Now is not the time to divorce yourself from, from Android. Because here, here's the issue. You, we have not entirely crushed iOS, right? Especially here in the United States, iOS still tends to reign supreme. Around the world, we've got maybe 90% market penetration. So before you decide to divorce Android and come up with an entirely separate system, 
let's take the let's fix what's wrong with Android. Let's get some of the security things out of the way. Let's get everybody kind of standardized on that platform. Let's fix all of those problems. Then and only then, once you've eliminated your competition, and now might not be a bad time to strike because uh, as anybody that follows tech news knows Apple isn't doing so well right now with their with with their latest iPhone and and, and iOS sales and all of that. It's not top so, notch. No. So while they're on the decline or while they're not while they're while they're down, now's the time to to punch and and mm-hmm. to and to really push into that market. Now is not the time for Samsung to go its direction and HTC to go their direction and Motorola to go a third direction and Google to go a direction. Now's not the time for that. Uh, so I think it hurts Android and I think it hurts Google more than it hurts Linux because at the end of the day, I feel like for the most part, the 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 true Linux geeks, the true Linux nerds none of us are really obsessed with Android. We just use it because it's better than iOS. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there's anybody out there that's like, that's the best operating system on a mobile platform <laughs> I've ever used. You know, like, well, look at you. You know, you're playing with Lineage OS. Why? Because you care about privacy and security and those right. kinds. Of so, no, I don't think it hurts Linux so much. I don't think Android did a lot for Linux. I think the only thing that it gets us is metrics in a book because oh, yeah. as Chrome OS devices become prolific, then manufacturers go, well, that Chrome OS Linux stuff, that seems to account for 13% of the market share. I suppose we better put our apps on Chrome. So to that to that method, I suppose it, it gains us a certain amount of ground. But I think we're going to, especially with, Microsoft dumping the going to a Chrome engine for Internet Explorer or Edge. I think that what you're going to see is more places are going to continue to push towards the web anyway, mm-hmm. regardless of what kernel uh, Chrome OS and Android are running. Yeah, I agree. I, mm-hmm. I, when I said it was negative, I think it was it's negative towards Android as the in that sense. I don't think it's negative towards Linux in general and because yeah, yeah, and, 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 and Google. Google for sure. Yeah. But I don't think that it's going to be any negative towards Linux because one, where Linux itself is not reliant on Google or Android. And the fact that Android, the kernel in the Android kernel is very heavily modified anyway. So it's it's like it's Linux, but it's also like an Android specific Linux. So anything that was made to support that particular kernel doesn't really relate to regular Linux stuff. So it does that in that sense, it doesn't really matter anyway. Uh, so I think that it's it, I agree that it's it's negative towards Google, uh, but you know Linux would be fine. Yeah. yeah, and before we all get too excited, and that, that the current OS does have very high levels of security and encryption. Yeah, this is Google. <laughs> they will still want. They will still want your data. So it has very no high security, much, but not very privacy. high security. That only they can get at your data. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's fantastic security, it's so they can just them, you know yeah. they can keep you behind the wall. <laughs> so. Yep. Well, let's hope for the best. So we did our predictions for 2019, but it's time to make our New Year's resolutions, our Linux New Year's resolutions. Mm. Now, as Linux series, our geek resolutions aren't centered around going to the gym or drinking less Starbucks. In fact, I'm going to go to the gym less and drink more Starbucks, but rather, (laughs) it's all about Linux. So with that said, let's find out what our Linux New Year's resolutions for the gang is. Michael, you go first. Okay, well, first of all, I think that uh, to make sure that Noah's prediction for 2019 is completely wrong. I will get more hard drives and have space on my system, so we don't have to worry about me having space to record the show. Uh, so, and he'll do that just as soon as somebody sends those hard drives to him for free. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I have them. I'll just use them. So I have a, I have a few that are not being used at all, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and do that. But uh, the uh, thing, another thing I'll do is probably let's see, make more content on my channel. That's a good. That's a good one. I, I like I, that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Ryan? 
Well, I am going to continue my stoppage of distro hopping that I started. So I am sticking with Arch and Kubuntu throughout the year. I am not going, I'm, that doesn't mean I'm not going to try other distros and VMs and things, but those are going to be my two uh, platforms that I'm going to stay on throughout the year. Nice. Um, I'm going to watch Michael's pronunciation videos on his channel. So I stop butchering words. So that <laughs> is definitely a new year's resolution. I'm going to get certified in Linux technologies uh, for sure this year. And I'm going to stop using proprietary cloud services out there like Google docs since Google seems to be a theme of the show. I love that. Zeb, how about you? Um, well, I just want to point out um, that I did not write this document and you're soon going to guess who did. <laughs> So uh, according to this document, I'm going to switch to AMD and get off this crappy NVIDIA junk card I use. <laughs> My response to that was bold, capitalized, underlined, and um, italicized. in italics. That's your section. Not, you could have wrote anything there. Uh, not going to happen. Um, even if I do go Team Red for a Threadripper, it will be married to the NVIDIA Titan RTX that only costs 2400 <laughs> It's a deal. Right. And, then, and then someone wrote, be kind to Ryan. When, <laughs> sorry, this is... Be kind to Ryan when I visit America. <laughs> I'm always kind to those poor souls in Team Red. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean... You just can't. I mean, they've got they're disadvantaged already, so you can't do. Oh, wow! Let's benchmark our systems and see who's disadvantaged there, sir. That's all right. Foreignx has already done I, it. Nvidia, I Nvidia, almost, Nvidia, I almost Nvidia. sent a video to you because my my screen was wigging out like crazy, and it was like it was like a DJ show. Like all six of them were like flashing, and I'm like, really? I'm like, you're hey, on hey, you're on hey, Team hey, Green. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I did order a a, a, a a red card. I just haven't put it in yet. So yep. on the list. So uh, my New Year's resolution is to subscribe to the DOS Geek channel <laughs> and to get an adult That's awesome. card for my gaming PC. That is really good. So, uh, so here is the issue. One, I'm already subscribed to DOS Geek. Two, okay, good. I, two. I have an adult GPU. It's sitting kindly in the box right on Waiting my treadmill. <laughs> exactly. Also, I don't have a gaming PC, but if I had one, I would put my adult graphic card that is sitting on my treadmill in my gaming PC and walk on the treadmill. Uh, <laughs> I'd actually use the treadmill. My actual New Year's resolutions, I want to learn more about Jack in 2019. Uh, I want to. Mm. Become, I want to know everything there is to know about Jack. I've done enough of it, but I always cheat and I use uh, I use some proprietary garbage software to to actually do my configuration, which I don't like. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually dig into Jack. I also want to dig into AES 67. I've actually I've never had any interest in developing software. I've never had any interest in being a software developer or anything like that. And um, audio over IP and doing some of the things for. The Ask Noah show is the first time I've ever actually ventured into software development, and I'm, I'm learning, and this is a very dangerous thing, I acknowledge, but I am learning how to take bits of software and interface them with other bits of software and being able to create new and cool things, and a lot of that is based on AES67 on Linux, and so I hope to, to dig into that a little bit more, and then once I do all of those kinds of things, then I want to get back into making more tutorials to tell other people how to do those things nice. so that they can take advantage of it in a true open source way. So yeah. that's, those, are my, those are my real goals 
for 2019. Well, I think we've mentioned it before, but for, for your Jack, Jack D stuff, definitely have um, a, a road with Scrapjaw because I think he helped Ryan with some of his mm-hmm. Jack yeah, issues. And, and funny enough, I have a script out there I'll send to you, Noah, to install Jack automatically, and I'm not saying that's going to help solve your learning thing, but what it may do is right. show you some of the various programs that Scrapjaw helped me figure out that kind of work into the integration and settings, but it does it automatically so you can follow the code but i love your idea of learning jack more it's something i wanted to do as well because it's such a powerful tool and an interface for other types of usb interfaces in my case that you can use within linux that do not work in standard also or pulse audio by themselves right. so yeah very so cool that'd stuff. be really cool so you learn it and then ryan can change his tagline to pick your brains <laughs> 2019 i was gonna say that's the spin-off show yeah there you go so now on to our gaming news we have uh something interesting i thought in the news this week about linux steam integration which was a project created by our friend ike doherty uh which a lot of people know from the solus project out there or was prior a prior part of the Solus project. Uh, he made this Steam client and the Steam client essentially, or tweaks to it, the Steam integration uh, tool that allows these packages and compatibility layers to work better within Steam. So games run better, you get better performance, uh, and, and you can utilize this. If you're using Solus, you're obviously utilizing this already. Um, but Ike departed Solus Linux, and so that project was feared to kind of just sat out there but we saw recently that it actually got picked up in a new repository and that new repository popped up under Intel's clear Linux account. And interestingly enough, when I was looking through there, there were recent commits that were made by Ike Doherty himself. So there's speculation of whether Ike has gone back to work for Intel or not. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's cool to see that this project is continuing on, continuing forward. Mm-hmm. So those who have utilized the Steam integration project uh, it's going to basically be in under the clear Linux distribution repository, but you could probably still utilize it or compile it anywhere else across the board. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And they're also, yep. uh, nice. I'm not sure if they're still planning on it, but they were working on, or Ike was working on a snap for the the Linux Steam integration as well. Uh, so that would be very cool. Um, but I think I think what they do is uh, I think he repackages the Steam client with some extra overlay stuff uh, to make it all work better because the Steam client is kind of old using a, an older runtime that was made a couple years ago, and this way it was kind of like to you know update some some configurations and things like that to make it work more smooth and more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. I'm not really that sure how. Epic. Yeah, it's it's that <laughs> sounds epic. Uh, that's a good transition uh, to the. Uh, Next topic, which is the Epic Game Store, has announced that they are not coming to Linux. Uh, we covered it a couple uh, episodes Boo. ago. Yeah, that they p- were saying that they were going to come to some open platforms, but they have now said, I think on Twitter, that they are not going to be going to Linux. Which, what open platforms are they talking about? If they're not, so um like free bsd maybe no. if they're not if they don't if they don't think there's enough people on linux there's definitely not enough people on bsd so um <laughs> so they um i don't know what they're what they're saying for this 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 structure like what they're i guess maybe android is the only one i don't know uh but that's not well, surprising platform <laughs> yeah that's android is uh whatever uh i don't i don't know what they're why they're doing that but uh, I'm not surprised because the guy who runs Epic has always been anti-Linux. Um, 
well, he, he's not necessarily against Linux, but also mocks it all the time. Um, in the sense of like, there's been times where he, I can't remember exactly the quote, but it was one time on Twitter where someone asked me a question. He was like, why would I bother trying to move to Linux when I want, when, when, uh, I could just fix what I have now. And it's, it's kind of like, he said, it's kind of like people getting annoyed by their country and moving to Canada instead of just fixing the country that they're in. Mm. And it's like, well, no, because one, that's not where you physically live and your computer can change within 10, like 10 minutes of a new system. So that's absurd. And also at the same time, the difference between having a country that you live in freedom and having an operating system that you live at the whim of Microsoft, there's a very big difference between the two. So whatever. Um, but that's, that's what the thing he's, he's been multiple times saying that, you know, it's not coming, to, it's not coming to Linux and most of the things is not coming to Linux. And the, and the funny thing is, is Epic, Epic makes uh, unreal, the unreal engine and unreal engine supports Linux because the community decided to make it work with Linux, not Epic. Just yeah. so you know. Well, listen, their store is a complete bore fest. Nobody cares about his existence. That's what I'm going with, especially since you have real competition out there like Steam and Discord we talked about before yeah. that are opening their stores up to Linux. You've got the Humble Store. You've got GOG. You've got Itch.io. If you want to compete in this platform, you want to go up against Steam and Valve and you want to say, okay, we're going to create a store and we're going to try to take some of that money away from them. And then you offer one-fifth of the actual um, advantages that Steam or your competition offers, mm -hmm. then you're, you're lost at the beginning. Nobody wants to have 16 applications <laughs> to launch games on their computer. You know, maybe two at best. And there is no way this is going to be successful. The only thing Epic Games has is the same thing Blizzard has. They have a couple IPs that people like, a couple individual games, like in Epic's case, Fortnite, that people like. And that's how they will force them to go launch Fortnite is going into their stupid store that you'll have to launch that you'll buy nothing else from but launch Fortnite. That's basically it. Yeah. Just like Blizzard. I can't think of anything else that Epic has that's, you know, not Fortnite at this point. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Okay. Software Spotlight. Um, and it was really good this week to have another email from um, one of our listeners. Now, um, I'm just going to check with Ryan first. I'm getting this guy's name right. Linux John? That's Linux John. Not Linux Martian. John. Not Martian. Right, cool. And not Windows John. <laughs> no. no. Right. So he says, hello to you all. I try to be a regular listener. The show is worth it. Yeah. Uh, thank you all. I consider your different experiences of GNU Linux and your differing points of view to be very informative. Um, and at Michael, the Redmond thing. Hmm. I also have reservations. Um, <laughs> is that in a hotel out there in California? Or <laughs> I think he's referring to the fact that the uh, that when I said that Microsoft people are giving Microsoft a lot more credit than I think that they are really deserved because they are only doing things that are self serving. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so a little while ago, we mentioned paperwork for scanning to PDF with built-in OCR, mm -hmm. um, and he wants to bring to our attention um, a software program called PDF Arranger. Um, he's installed it and it works fine for him. Uh, PDF tools are a must-have today, even for home users, e.g. please submit your job application, including supporting True. documents, as a single PDF file. Um, so whilst he can rely on things like um, LibreOffice and SimpleScan, and he names a few others, um, he, he goes on to say that this particular program uh, works very, very well for him. 
Um, and he also mentions, again, as something that we also like to uh, mention a lot on this program, is that he donates a lot back into the uh, community. Um, awesome. And every time he installs Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate 1804, no, Ryan, I don't use Arch. That's unfortunate, but I still like you. He, he donates uh, the funds for each installation that he carries out, which is pretty cool because most people would just go, oh, I donated $10 last year. But what he's saying is I don't know the amount, but every time he installs that product on someone's PC, he will make a donation, which is really, nice. really super cool. Yeah. Um, so he ends up by saying, floss greetings to you all and a happy and prosperous 2019. To paraphrase Mr. L. Bushy. Nice. Um, one of the things I liked about the article, um, and this is, yes, we get it. It runs on Linux, mm-hmm. but there's also an experimental Windows support. So you guys have got to wait. There's this fantastic PDF arranger out there, and it's Linux only. Yeah. So, it's nice to have those tables face. turned uh, every once in a while, for yeah. sure. That's why mm-hmm. every time I, that's another thing when every time someone talks about like the best, uh, like, can I, do you have a free video editor that I can talk about? Yeah, it only works on Linux, so no. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is our tip and trick of the week, Michael? Well, our tip and trick of this week is, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, the types of stores we've been talking about, the Epic Game stores, there's also things like the Humble Bundle store. Uh, but this is a very interesting but similar thing called the Story Bundle. And the Story Bundle is uh, essentially a bundle system where you pay what you what, what you want, and then uh, it like, did, like uh, calculates the amount that goes to each individual uh, author, and it does it. But this is done for eBooks. So, and the the really cool thing about this particular one is that all the books that are uh, in this bundle are DRM free. And it allows you to do the same thing that the Humble Bundle does, where you can support a charity a w- charity with a portion of your um, your purchase in that in that particular bundle. Yeah, you would have seen this tip if you were in our Telegram group because Linux Paul, uh, who's also patron of the show, submitted this, and I didn't know it existed out there. And it's a very cool way to build up the amount of eBooks, especially if you got a Kobo or even a Kindle reader for uh, the holidays. This is a great way to get a bunch of books for a really low price. You not only get to support the authors with it, you get the DRM free, and they also donate to charity just like Humble Bundle. So it's a really mm-hmm. cool service out there. Yeah. Um, and this one's bundle is for fantasy detective novels out there. So they've got a bunch of different, each you know month has a new theme of books that you could get. If you're not interested in that, wait a month and see what the next bundle is. Uh, but you can pick up a whole bunch of books that way and have a nice catalog of reading. And even if you don't read books, just buy them all. And then if your friends, you know, you could show off to your friends, look how smart I am. I have 13,000 books on my Kindle reader, you know, it's a good way to impress them. Well, it's actually quite interesting because I went out to this, to this website and I actually bought that, um, bundle that they were talking about and and one of the features that i liked about that michael's already hinted upon but i didn't know know you could do with humble bundle is i think it starts off of 70 percent for the author 30 percent for the bundle but you can actually alter that so i actually went down to 90 percent for the author and just 10 percent for humble um so it was interesting that you could make those changes what i didn't try was a hundred percent for the author 
and not for Humble because I don't <laughs> think that, would be that, that and it would have been rude because they're providing us with a service. So I thought right. an 80-20 split, you know, just give a little bit back, back, back more to the author. But what I also found really interesting is because with these things, with these authors that you've never heard of is, are they going to be any good? Well, I've read two already and they're brilliant. Nice. So, yeah, it's... They're not just chucking you any old stuff. I think they might have actually gone through and picked some pretty good authors for you to for you, for you to get a good read on. So if you're into into sci-fi and detective type stuff and fantasy type detective stuff, then yeah, that's a really good bundle to start you off. Very that's nice. Fantastic. Linux Paul adds in there that you can indeed do a hundred to zero split there. So that's wow. awesome. Interesting. If you guys want to support the program, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash destination Linux. Again, updates will be coming and we'll have a new method for you to do that soon. But for now, that's the way to show your love and appreciation. Uh, it, it starts at, what do we say? It's darn near free because it's only uh, it's only a buck. Exactly. That's right. It is so. darn near free. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us, for watching us and listening to Destination Linux. We love our supporters and our patrons and just want to give a special shout out for those who do support. And when we find alternate means, those who seek to support us on those platforms as well, it means the world to us. And these funds are going to be used to bring Zeb to America. If you want to see Zeb in America, definitely go out there and uh, subscribe so that we can raise enough money to buy a ticket to bring him to Southeast Linux Fest in which we can have a ton of fun live streaming Zeb <laughs> and his British <laughs> commentary uh, going on as we're going to the show. It will be endless entertainment. If you didn't get enough entertainment from Destination Linux, uh, all of us are doing our own individual things, and so you can get contact uh, content rather throughout the week. Ryan can be found at youtube.com slash dosgeek, fill your brains. Zeb can be found at youtube.com slash zebdibost. Michael can be found at talksdigital.com, and of course you can check out the Ask Noah show, talk radio show every Tuesday, where I take your questions on Linux and open source related technology. Make sure to follow us all on Twitter. I just went through all of the names, just put an at sign in front of it. That's how you find us on Twitter. Come on, you know that. And if not, <laughs> check out the show notes and we'll have our Twitter handles in there. And if not, then just come back next week and somebody else can read the Twitter handles. <laughs> <laughs> and as usual, let us have your comments and, and all your emails, whether it's a question or a, a, an article that you want us to talk about, or whether it's a particular distro you want us to showcase, because we really do build the show around some of these emails of you, as you've seen here today. So that's comments at destinationlinux.org. Um, you can then go to destinationlinux.org forward slash contact for a whole raft of other means uh, by which you can contact us. Michael. Oh, and smash your social media and plug your buttons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you need to, sma you need to sma smash your button. You smash your plugs and stuff. Uh, so like the smash button for sure. And also share the show on social media. And if you if you have like uh, your podcast app has a rating system, uh, f please do so. Like if you use uh, any kind of like iTunes related application, uh, you know it'd be really nice. If, if whether you use iPhone or not, iTunes is one of the main sources for podcasting. Right? This I mean that's actually where the name podcast came from. Anyway, uh, so if you would uh, rate the podcast there, it would be very helpful to us. And uh, as as uh, as, as Noah said, that we have individual uh, channels, so definitely check those out uh, because uh, there's a lot of always a lot of new stuff coming out throughout the week from most of us. Everybody have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is only as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> could be just nice. as important as well. Only. <laughs> <laughs>